take your Bibles and turn to the New Testament to the book of Titus, and we are going to finish up that little text there, uh, verses 5 through 9 in the book of Titus. And we'll finish up this morning. It's a good, good text. We've been sort of moving kind of slow through this text because Paul is giving some qualifications for ministry to Titus and to me. When I study these things, I, I put myself in the limelight there, right under the magnifying glass of God's word. And these things speak to me, and I can tell you, I've been going through the ringer with a lot of these things. Because every time I look at myself, you know, the, James says that we look at our reflection um, in the perfect law of liberty. It's like the, the word of God is a mirror. And we look at ourselves, and we see ourselves... Uh, and see what the scripture says about us. And the picture is not very attractive for me. And, um, I'm sure there's, there's a lot of room for improvement in my life and probably yours as well. And, uh, we don't want to be a forgetful hearer, which is easy to do. But as we look at that, those things and we see the, see ourselves as we really are, we get an accurate picture of ourselves. It's a challenge to make us really examine ourselves, our motives and our hearts. And uh, that's that's really important. And that's true with all of us, that, that uh, we want to be faithful to handle what God has given to us in a way that brings compliance and surrender and obedience in our lives. And and that's what I've been doing with these verses. Let me just read them to you. We're going to, only, we're going to be at the very last section of the last verse. We almost covered it last time, but... Um, we have a little bit less than a half hour, so we'll we'll get through it. Uh, Paul writes to Titus and says, For this reason I left you in Crete. That's an island in the middle of the Mediterranean. I left you there. They were working together, and established, working with the churches. And he said, I left you there in, the, in Crete so that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. So here's this unusual Gentile who has happened to be a leader, an elder. Uh, in the church, and Paul has been working with him. They've been working close together, just like Paul and Timothy worked together up in Ephesus. Um, and he's now leaving. Paul is leaving, going up to probably Macedonia, and he's leaving Titus back to take care of some of the things, straighten out some of the issues in the churches, and to appoint elders or leaders or pastors in the churches, which is a, a very serious, serious responsibility. And in doing that, Paul gives just a little brief list of some of the things that you want to use as qualifications that you look for in those who are going to be leaders. He says, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid game, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he would be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. And we've looked at all of those things, and I'm going to, we're just going to look at that last sentence there. Um, he says he wants to be able to exhort with sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. We handle the word. This is this is God's book, and uh, we, we've talked about it. And if you got my my Christmas card letter, 
you know that I talked about the fact that this is a very powerful book. It really is. I'm more impressed with it. The more I study it, the more I read it, the more I'm impressed with the fact that it points us to the Savior, that the Spirit of God will take the book, take the word, take the truth, and use it in our hearts and our lives uh, if we will avail ourselves to that. And the scripture talks about that. And so here in this passage, as, as Paul has been telling Titus some of the give him a picture of some of the qualifications and some of the things that he needs to see in his life, he concludes this by talking about the word and how he's going to handle the word, which is extremely, extremely important. Um, he says in the beginning of verse 9, holding fast the faithful word, that is being faithful with the word that is faithful. And we talked about that too, that God's word is faithful to us. It is faithful to do what, what does the scripture say? That um, thy word will accomplish wherewithal I send it. I send forth, the Lord sent his word out and it will accomplish whatever he intends for it to accomplish. And we should avail ourselves to it. And so Paul is telling Titus here, holding fast, proclaiming, uh, giving out the faithful word, which is faithful to do what God wants to do. That faithful word, which is in harmony with or in accordance with the teaching, when he uses the teaching, the phrase teaching, that is the teaching uh, of the scripture, the teaching of the church, the apostolic teaching. Remember that when the church was first formed, they didn't have a completed New Testament. They had the apostles and the apostles would teach and teach the apostle doctrine, but the apostles wrote letters to the churches and so it's that teaching that they taught that was setting the, by the Spirit of God, kind of setting the parameters of what was to be um, healthy teaching, sound doctrine, and the, the apostles were given that responsibility of kind of shepherding that and seeing that, that giving of that at the beginning of the, the early church. And so this teaching here, he's saying is in accordance with the teaching that would, he doesn't say the apostles, but that's what it would be. It would be the accepted doctrine, the accepted teaching. So that, so let me back up. Let me just, so we can keep the flow of it. He says, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching. So that, and here is the text we're going to be looking at this morning. He will be able to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Having the word, giving out the word, he would be able to exhort, that's one, and refute. And you kind of like have a positive, maybe, and a negative here. And we start out with this this um, positive that having the word and giving the, the word out, we're able to exhort with the accepted doctrine. And then also... Having the word and giving out the word, we're able to correct or refute those who contradict. That's what we are looking. That's what we're looking at, and that's where we are. So let's just slow down on that that, that statement there for a minute. The word exhort uh, is the word parakleo, and it's a compound word actually, and the, it has a prepositional beginning, which is the word para, and you know the prepositional gives direction or motion usually to the word it's attached to. And in the Greek, we have, I guess, nine or maybe 12, 12 of them. Anyway, I don't have any. But we have this particular prefix gives the direction of coming alongside, of being alongside. In fact, I have a, a diagram in my 
one of my Bibles that diagrams these prepositions and the relationship of the motion it has with the subject. And so here is the motion that's right alongside. And so the, that's, that's the preposition means it has the idea of coming alongside. And then the second part of the word kleo uh, has the idea of summons or comforting or uh, calling for or beseeching or exhorting. And so that the, the meaning of the word exhortation or means to come alongside, to draw near to, uh, to give advice or urgent appeal, to come alongside to do that. Now, you're familiar with the word, if you have a King James translation in the New Testament, you're familiar with the word uh, paraclete, which in the, the, the scriptures talks about, I think it's John 14, 16, where Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. The King James translates that paraclete, and that's because that's a transliteration of the same word. The helper is one who comes alongside and comforts. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm not going to go off and abandon you. I have that. I have five kitties. I will, one of these days before too long, I'll have one for sleep, unfortunately, in the name of Shadow. You can pray for him if you want to. But um, he's such a sweet little animal. But he has this uh, growth in his lungs, and it makes him cough a lot. And I don't want to have him struggle for re- to, for gasping for air and dying that way. So I will have him put to sleep before that takes place. And he's, he's coughing more frequently, so it's not going to be too long. But the point is I have cats that I love them and, and care for them. But because I have these five animals, I can't just get off and go up and spend three or four days with my sisters or go down to Disney World for a week or take a cruise or something like that because I don't want to just go off and abandon them. I don't want to leave them. I'm there to take care of them. And that's sort of what Jesus said with his disciples there, that uh, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to abandon you. Uh, I'm not going to just leave you spraying out into the wilderness by yourself. I'm going to send a helper with you. And he did say that, that it's actually to your advantage. Uh, in John 16, 7, I tell you the truth, it's your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, the, the helper, the Holy Spirit is not going to come. In other words, we are better off with the Holy Spirit here ministering with us, doing the work of the Lord than we would be if Jesus was in person here. That's hard to imagine. But if Jesus were here, he would only be at one spot, one church at one time. But if the Holy Spirit is here, he can be at all of us, wherever we are. Uh, when I get up in the morning and I'm uh, you read my Bible in that little room there. It's kind of messy. I don't keep it as clean as I should, but it, the bed's not made because the cats sleep on it a lot. But anyway, I blame all them. But anyway, there in that situation, the Spirit of God is with me. And when I open up the Word, He is there and He's opening the Word to me. And, and when we sing or when I talk or sometimes I'll read out loud and I even have been known to yell uh, with at the Lord about certain things. Um, I do it when there's nobody else around. But anyway, he's there, and he opens the word to us. And here's, here's the helper. Jesus said it's, it's advantageous. It's to your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, the helper is not going to come. And the helper is the one who comes alongside, and that's kind of what we are seeing here uh, in this in this passage here when uh, we're reading about this, this one. He's going to exhort. He's able to exhort 
the the idea of the one coming to exhort or the word being able to exhort means that the word comes alongside or comes to us and we bring it to us and we are able to counsel, we're able to comfort, we're able to to control. And I'll tell you, that is a that's a good resource. We we talk about counseling, biblical counseling, and biblical counseling is nothing more nor less than taking the word of God and help to apply it to the life of somebody else, another believer. And uh, that's that is to lead the person to faith in Christ, and then to lead the person into obedience to the Word, because he is a believer, and that makes a big, big, big difference in the life. And so this is this is what he's saying here: this exhortation. The word is used, by the way, it's been translated in Mark five seventeen. Is translated employ, where. Um, when Jesus cast out the legion demons uh, and the, the, the demons out of the man from the county of Ganes, the Gezerines, the demons went out of the swine and the demon and the swine, they went out to the swine and the swine, if you remember, ran down the hill into the lake and were drowned. And the people, the villagers, when they heard about that, they came and they began, it said they began to implore him, that is Jesus, to leave. They came near. And they began to ask Jesus to leave. And that's the same word that we have translated here. It's also translated invite when uh, we were talking about uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. And uh, he was uh, riding in a chariot. He was going back, if I remember correctly, back to Egypt. And he was reading, what was he reading from, remember? He was reading from Isaiah 53. And he was reading, he was questioning, who is this talking about? And the, the Philip was there, and, and Philip said, well, here, I'll explain it to you. So he hopped in the chariot, he rode along with him, and it said, um, the, when he was asking about that, he said, how could I, unless someone guides me, and he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The word invited is the same word, coming alongside and sitting down and counseling and helping me to understand. And so the word does that. The word, is, the word of God is able to, we bring it and we're able to use it and to question uh, people and ask questions and take the word and apply it to their hearts and apply it to their lives because it is the word that brings the change. It is the word that brings the the uh, new beginning, if you will. That's what Greg Laurie uses in his program, and it's right. It's it, it, the word of God and the spirit of God come together into us, and they give us like a new focus, a new purpose, a new beginning in life. You know, I need that. I really do need that. And I was thinking this morning, um, I need, I need, I need church because I get kind of sour and self-focused and bitter sometimes if I'm by myself and I stay away. Coming back when I come here on Wednesday night and I join Rick and Larry in prayer, you have no idea of the lift and the 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 enthusiasm and the joy and the the hope and the smiles that it puts on my heart to come together. I can come in and be, and I've had that happen on many occasions. Been sort of um, under the pressure, burdened about something, and come together and have Pete pray or Rick pray or whatever, and just in the prayer and pouring out the heart, it's just like. It's, it's almost really true. It's almost like the Lord comes up and puts his arm around you and, and you just, your heart is just comforted and you're, you are refocused and you have a new joy and a new purpose and a new hope. Does that make sense? And, and we really do need that. God knows when he says don't, 
deny the assembling of yourselves together. He's not saying that just so we can get your money. Uh, he's not saying that just because we want a big, big, a large building, which can boost the ego of the preacher or the large church. He's saying that because that's our lifeline. We need that. We really do need that. We, we, if we don't have that fellowship, we just dry up. We, we shrivel up like a raisin or a prune or whatever. And so it's just really, really, really important. And so um, here is this word. We get together, and that word is there used of the Lord to help uh, exhort us, to help us to grow. Um, the word doctrine in that text, by the way, is sound doctrine. Hugiano uh, is the word, and it's a, the, we get the English word hygienic from that word. Uh, and what it means is that the word is able to exhort us through healthy teaching or healthy doctrine. The, 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 uh, the truths of scripture, <clears throat> we can, of course, people can take it and distort it. We have uh, somebody, some uh, guy down in Georgia who says he's a preacher and he distorts it all the time. He starts talking about the scriptures and the preaching and stuff like that. And uh, he's, he's, um, running for office and stuff. And I hope people can see through it because he's, he's, he's a false prophet in that sense. But the Bible, and so people can twist it around, but the scriptures give us the parameters and gives us the word so that we can teach it in a healthy manner, in an accurate manner, so that the word is rightly divided and rightly applied and that it's like that sword of the spirit, which is part of the armor that God has given us. It's not a big sword. It's a small Micaiah sword. That it's a spoken word in time, a, a word that is given a command, a, a scripture verse or a passage that is given at the right time. It just really cuts the quick, cuts to the heart and exposes what needs to be exposed. And uh, so it is, it is the word that is taught in a hygienically healthy way. Uh, the word doctrine, didascalia, means teaching or instruction. And so um, <clears throat> here is a, a picture of the elder coming alongside with a healthy instruction and teaching from God's word. And that's, that's, that's a challenge to me. And that's a challenge to us. And it really is there in public for us to see, not so you can see everything about me, but so we can see what God wants us all to be like. Because they are, they are, the, the reason that we want to, to follow the Lord in my life is not just so that I can match these credentials, these qualifications, and say, well, okay, I've got that box checked, I've got that box checked, I've got that box checked, but so that my life will set a standard of example for everybody else in the church to look at and to emulate, you see. Why is it that so many, sometimes preacher kids go astray? I'm not saying you're going astray, but I'm saying sometimes they do, or missionary kids. Sometimes it's because their mom and dad, or dad particularly, may not be practicing at home what he preaches in public. And I can promise you that nothing will turn the kids off quicker than that hypocrisy where the, the parents, the father preaches one message in public before the people, but at home they know what he preaches is not, he's not practicing. If you don't practice it, then it's not real. It's not real for you. What you practice becomes the example for your kids. And if your kids end up not liking this or being cold on the shoulder about this. Maybe it's because we've been practicing something at home that's different from what we've been preaching, you see. And so it's really important. And that's that's the case here. Leaders 
are to take seriously the word of God in their lives and practice that not only in public but in private so that their lives are an example. Uh, we looked at that the other day. We talked about uh, God's word and the ability of God's word to to communicate the word of God. And then we, we I took some time to look at the comparison in scripture between the word of God and the testimony of God through us, which was found in Revelation. And the testimony is what our lives say about the word of God. And the word of God is what God says through the word to us. And so you have the the logos, which is the written word, and the testimony, which is the example of our lives. And hopefully those two should work together, marry together. That's just really important. So back to our text here. He says that this word is an exhortation um, for sound doctrine. We want to be be giving. And the scripture talks about sound doctrine, doesn't it? First um, Timothy, where Paul is talking to Timothy, uh, he says this in chapter 4. Right, Timothy says, Timothy, uh, in these things that I'm pointing out to you, these things you're pointing out to the brethren, if you point these things out, you will be a good servant. That's the word. It could be deacon, but it's a good servant. It's not just deacon. It's a good steward. You're a good servant of Jesus Christ. Notice this. Constantly nourished on the words of the faith. That's the truth of God's word. And the sound doctrine, the healthy doctrine, the healthy teaching which you have been following. Do you see that? He's telling him that you to be constantly yourself nourished. What does that mean? It means to be fed. To take it in, you are to be constantly. What does that mean? That means continuous, not just something you do once a month. You do it continually. Every morning when you get up, you ought to be spending some time. I don't mean to say four or five hours. And sometimes, like I was telling Erica this morning, my prayer time this morning was really almost non-existent. It was just a little mumble because I was spending so much time trying to get ready for Sunday morning. But usually I do spend some good time in prayer and I have a prayer list I go over and I pray for a lot of people and because uh, it's important. Not so that I can say something I'm praying for you, but because it's important. God answers prayer. And so here's the, this, uh, we have the, this, the, the fact that the scripture marries together the word of God and the testimony of God and uh, we want to be faithful in that. And as I said this morning, I would spend more time studying than I was in prayer, but that's not, not usual, but it, it was this morning. Anyway, this doctrine, this teaching um, is that which constantly nourish us, nourishes us, and it is sound doctrine, it's healthy doctrine, doctrine which you have been following. And he says this in that context. He says, have nothing to do with worldly fables, fit only for old women and that's not a slant to women it just means that don't don't get lost in these fables and these gossip sessions and same things like that but on the other hand discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness and i just want to stop there for a moment uh, because a lot of times we think of the christian life at least i do and i may be revealing now something of my perverted idea but i think of christian life as is you coming to Jesus and you believe in him and and uh, you you kind of you try to go to church once in a while you put some money in the plate once in a while and uh, but you don't like the idea of the christian life being attention as we walk a tightrope that it is we, we don't like the idea of the christian life as being 
a struggle with the flesh or the old man or the world. And yet, it is a struggle. I mean, what does Paul say in Colossians? Um, he talks about set your affection or set your mind on things above and not on the things on the earth. And I'm going to tell you, I have, I have struggled with that. I've asked myself, how do I do that? How do I set my affections on things above when I, I love the world? I love the things that are in the world and the toys and the things like that. How do I unlove those things and love the things and set my affections on things above? And I think the answer is one of the passages that I really, really have talked about a lot is Galatians 6, 7, and 8. You know the verse before I even quote it. In Galatians 6, 7, and 8, um, Paul, writing to the church, the, the believers in the Galatian region, said, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you reap. The one that sows to the flesh, grow from the flesh, reap corruption. The one who sows in the spirit, grow from the spirit, reap life. What does it mean to sow? It means to contribute to, to focus on, to feed that area of your life. I like to sow to the flesh. I like, you know, I like James Bond. And I enjoy that, and I enjoy watching movies and things like that. But a lot of times I've had to turn them off just because they're not good. They put that stuff in your mouth, in your mouth, in your mind. And uh, so I, I want to be careful what I put in my life. And what, why is it, why is it that we have a bigger crowd that will go uh, to? And, and David, I don't know if you're listening, but we have usually have a bigger crowd that'll go to, to, to David and them for their Super Bowl party. Then we have come here, and even Christians. And why is it that way? It's because we feed that. That feeds our our the desires, these things in our life. And uh, so um, we do that, and that it, it's just it 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 can it can take over. Psalm thirty-seven four. It's another favorite verse. It says, "Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart." Again. How do you do that? I mean, because if you just sit down and focus on the Lord, sometimes it can be kind of boring. And it's not, and this is not a slant. It's just that we, one of the ter- characteristics that the scripture definitely does not reveal about God is he's boring. I can promise you that there's nothing boring about the Lord. When people stand in his presence, they're on their face. They're eating dirt. And, uh, if, it, if the sermon is boring, it's because I'm not doing a good job of communicating God's word and God and the person of, of God. But the Lord, is magnificent. How do we delight ourselves in Him? It's by focusing on Him, by by uh, in, indulging uh, the relationship with Him, making room in your life for Him, and those kinds of things, and doing it in place of a lot of other stuff. I'll tell you something else. I have just started. I'm just letting you know, honestly, struggles in my life. When I'm working at uh, at Lowe's, I have the, my phone out. And after I go through and do my my reading and stuff like that, if I'm down in Lumber and I have 45 minutes and nothing's happening when I'm sitting there, I'll frequently get out the phone and go to YouTube and go through YouTube because there's a lot of interesting stuff on there. But there's so much garbage on there that I've got the place I just kind of don't even look at it much anymore. If I do, I, I don't I, I I skim through it and see I like to see what's going on with Grace Church and John MacArthur and stuff like that. And I've been getting a lot of stuff from Marv Rosenthal on the Feast of Israel and stuff like that. But I try to go through that and, and do this stuff that's pornographic on there, and I try to just let that go. I don't like that, and it's easy to stop. You know what I'm saying? It's just easy to stop. I don't want to do that, so I try to go. Through. And that's a struggle. 
but there's just one area that is easy to struggle with those kinds of things. And so here he's just saying here that we, we want to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. And uh, I'm already out of time. I'm gonna. I, I'm not gonna finish this verse today. But I want to go to one more passage of scripture, and that is take your Bible, turn to Revelation. And because uh, I was thinking about this, what does it mean when we have this struggle back and forth um, in our life? And the more we make progress, the more we are described in the biblical term of being an overcomer. We are overcomers. Because there is this, there's this tension in our walk with the Lord, and uh, that tension is there, and um, it is easy to succumb, and yet we are to be overcomers. And uh, I'm, I, uh, I know from the Scripture in many places it talks about that. First John, which is one of the verses that talks about being an overcomer, I think it's in uh, chapter one or chapter four. Anyway. I should know that by heart because I've gone through this so much. But anyway, John talks about that we are those who overcome. We are overcomers. And in Revelation, just listen to this. You got how many letters we have in seven churches? The seven churches we have seven of them. Revelation, all right. Every one of them, every single one of them, talks about in one way or another of being an overcomer. First of all, is the church at, at uh, Ephesus. It was a church that lost its first love. And he says, um, that verse four, I have this against you. You lost your first love. I know what that's like. I pray about that, that all the time. I know that it's easy to get tied up with other things and to lose that love affair, to put that love affair on the back burner. He says down in verse seven, last part of verse seven, to him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So those who overcome. And the second church is the church of Smyrna. And in the church of Smyrna, the, the Lord evaluates the church. He says, I know your tribulation, but you really are rich. This is the church that's going through the suffering. This is the, the John MacArthur calls it the poor rich church. But this church, he says, uh, verse 7, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Uh, and he goes on to say, he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Second church, he who overcomes. The third church there is the church of Pergamum. Uh, and this was the church that compromised with the world. It says, I have a few things against you because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept putting a teaching, kept teaching Balaam to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so on and so forth. And in that church, he says, um, down in the middle of verse 17, to him who overcomes, I will give to eat some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone. That's the third and fourth church is the church of Thyatira, the church that tolerated sin. And he says there that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who, who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches the need my bond servants astray, so on and so forth. And he says down in verse 25, nevertheless what you have hold fast until I come and he who overcomes who keeps my deeds until the end to him I will give the authority over the nations, etc., etc. The church of Sardis is the next church, is the dead church. The church, the, the Lord evaluated the church says, though your deeds that you have a name that you're alive but you're not, you're dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain. And he says to that church in verse 5, He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. And then there's the evangelistic church, the church of Philadelphia. He's the church that had an open door that no one could shut. And the Lord says, I shut the door, no one can open. And he says in verse 12, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. 
And then the last one is the Laodicean church, the church that was neither hot nor cold. And Jesus said, I will spew you out of my mouth. And he says, he who overcomes, verse 21, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne as I have overcome, as I had also overcame and sat down my, uh, with my father on his throne. So the point is, all this is just that overcoming is the struggle that we all have in life. It is there. It is part of the Christian walk. And we want to be faithful in that and uh, to do that. Now, the last part of this verse here uh, is to refute those who contradict. Refute has to do with convict or convince, rebuke, reprove. And uh, gracious mercy, I got four or five pages. I'm not going to get through it, so I'm not going to do that. But here is this, this passage that's telling us that that the word of God is able not only to give the positive instruction, but also the correction, the conviction to tell us how to turn away from certain things and to embrace certain things. And that word is used, for example, if you remember the woman taken in adultery, where the, the Jews used this poor woman, she was caught in sinful activity, and they just jerked her away. They weren't concerned for her. They weren't really concerned for her sin. They wanted to trap Jesus, and they brought her to to the Lord there, and uh, they were trying to trap him, and they were demanding that he answer the question of what this the situation about this woman had done. The King James uh, translation of that text says that when Jesus uh, said let uh, said let the woman without sin cast the first stone, and they were it says in King James they were convicted or exposed or shamed, and that is the word here refute same word. They were ashamed in their heart. It's not in the New American Standard, but it is in the King James. So that just quickly, God's word does bring conviction. And I want to tell you, the scriptures do not care if it is rude when it convicts you of sin. It will be brutal sometimes. There are times when it is, in fact, let me give you some quotes. Who was it said, thou art the man? Nathan to David, King David. Um, who was it said, get behind me, Satan? Jesus, to Peter. Um, he told the Jews, he said, you are of your father, the devil. And there are other illustrations. There was Stephen who was going to be stoned. And Stephen, point blank to those Jews, said, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you're always resistant to the Holy Spirit. He goes on, it is that they stoned him. But the point is that what he said, the conviction that he brought was severe. And hard uh, to the to the man born blind in John nine, the, uh, the the man born blind eventually said to the Pharisees, and they were standing around. They kept questioning and questioning. They would not accept. Finally, he, the man said, "Listen to me. Since the beginning of time, has it ever been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a blind man? Has it been happened? Never, never has. Okay. If this man were not from God, he couldn't do nothing. He could do nothing, and that's true. He could not open the eyes of a blind man apart from the from the Lord giving him. That's just impossible. That's so clear. They were upset. You're, you're born entirely in sin and you're teaching us. And so they kicked him out. The man saw clearly. He used brutal language. That brutal language pierced him in the heart and they kicked him out. And the same thing is true. I'm not going to go to Samuel in confronting in the Old Testament. Um, uh, Saul said, you have rejected the word of the Lord. He also has rejected you from being king. And so the point is, and I'm trying, and I'm done. I finished the text. Um, the point is that God's word <clears throat> is clear. It's to the point, and many times it can be brutal. Let it be brutal because you need it. And I need it too. 
We do. We have we have a sinful nature. We are spirit. We come to the world spiritually dead. And when God gives us life and a heart, a new heart, we need to listen. We need to respond. We need to let the Lord have His way with us because that is the hope for growth. That is the hope of a changed life. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Let's go to the prayer. Dear Father, thank you for your mercy and your grace and your goodness to us. Thank you for your word, which is so powerful. Help us to be faithful in it as we know you are faithful to use it in us. We thank you for this time. I pray that those that are listening don't know you. I pray you'll be speaking to each heart and each life. Eternity is a long time to be wrong. And so I'm asking that you would speak to hearts and lives today, that men and, men and women would hear and return their hearts over to you and to seek to serve you and live for you. And I pray in Jesus' name and thanksgiving. Amen.